Sometimes the, the topic of envy or jealousy, which we're using synonymously in this series, is one that you take very lightly. And it, it was funny this week because I, I saw, I started to see, uh, just from conversations with people, that envy is something that, that people have a problem with. And going into the series, I didn't know how many people would connect with. I knew that this series would connect with certain people uh, pretty deeply and pretty profoundly. But I didn't know how kind of wide-ranging that effect would be on people's lives. But it seems like, uh, just from last Sunday to this Sunday, the conversations I have, that, that, it, that it really connected. And people were like, yeah, I always just thought I disliked them, or I, I just thought it was their fault. But now I can see that in some ways I'm envious of them. Um, and here's the other part as this week kind of went on. Even though I preached about last week how bad envy can be and how many things it can lead to and how it hurts us, I still found myself uh, saying things like, oh, I'm just jealous, you know, so flippantly. And it came up this week and I stopped myself mid-sentence because, you know, you don't want to like outright be a hypocrite. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm just you know, I just, uh, I want that thing, you know, I just kind of stammered with my words in the middle of a sentence, and, uh, and so let me just say uh, that, that one of the things that, that last week uh, I don't think I did a great job on, and it's because we have a whole series here, but I didn't really give you any help for how to stop being envious. We just kind of said, don't covet. God says don't covet. Remember that that law is good, that God has called us not to covet, that the New Testament repeats it, and so therefore you should really strive not to want what other people have. And you might have gone home and said, yeah, great idea. That's difficult. That's really hard. How do I accomplish that? And that's where we are moving today. Um, before we move there, I just want to say once again, and we'll talk about this kind of throughout, that envy can be really bad. And that was kind of the point of last week's sermon. Envy can be really bad. And this week I found another reminder of how bad envy can be. And it's because I remember the story of Snow White. And I don't know if you've ever heard about or read about the kind of original Snow White story, the Brothers Grimm version of the story. But it's really, really dark and and like over the top, not really a kid's story, even though it was written for, for kids. And it, it's pretty much the same story, except for, you know, the, the ending of it. And there's a couple of different versions on the ending. But it's not that they lived happily ever after. The, the story is more about uh, the wicked queen. And so just to catch you up, if you've never seen Snow White, um, uh, the queen is obsessed with being the fairest in the land. She wants to be the most beautiful in the whole land. And she has this stepdaughter named Snow White, who a magical mirror says, actually, she's now the fairest in the land. And so what happens in the story, the old version, this is a more clear emotion, uh, is she becomes envious of Snow White, and her envy becomes an obsession for her, and so she hires a huntsman to kill Snow White, and he has a heart, and so he doesn't, and he kills a, a deer instead, and he brings those organs back, and, and then the, the queen is still obsessed with getting rid of Snow White because she's envious, because she wants to be the fairest in the land, and so she goes, and she tries to, uh, in the real story, I get the real story, it's not real in any story, but uh, the, the original, the more uh, traditional version of the story. Uh, 
she, she takes her a garment first and, and the garment is too tight. And so the goal is that, that Snow White will actually suffocate when she wears this garment that she's made for. And then she brings the apple, which we know that part of the story and, and to try to poison her and that doesn't work. And then she tries to kill her herself. And, uh, and the more traditional versions of the story, uh, the queen is actually at Prince Charming and Snow White's wedding. And, and one of them, they are so mad at her uh, because, well, you would be, I guess, if she had tried to kill you three times. They're so upset with her, uh, understatement, that they actually uh, torment her to death. And that's the part that we leave out of the Disney version. Uh, but in the original English version uh, of the story, the queen actually chokes on her own envy. And the story is meant to be one, man, they knew how to scare kids back then. It's meant to be one that scares kids out of having these, pro- these improper kind of emotions and desires and this coveting. And I would think this, this envy that we've kind of talked about. And Snow White, in two ways, shows us what a big deal envy can be. First of all, that people would write such a scary, dark story to say, look at what envy does And second of all, just in the story of the queen, seeing how, how her envy of her stepdaughter leads her down this path that goes from just kind of, I want to be the fairest, to trying to kill somebody, to being obsessed with killing somebody to the point where she's destroying herself. And ultimately, and something we talked about last week that's really biblical, ultimately she ends up slaying herself. She ends up dying because she is so envious of her stepdaughter, Snow White. And so envy, just from the Bible's perspective, but also just kind of on you know, our own experiences, in our own experiences, we see that it's really bad. It's really bad. And Paul in the New Testament, as he's writing the book of Romans, shows us kind of the same thing in a very different way. And this is what he says in Romans 13, 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in caressing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy and jealousy. Now, I just like to point this out that the word, the Greek translation for jealousy, and we talked about this last week, but it's worth talking about again, uh, is generally any eager uh, passion, especially that of jealousy. And so we have these two words that factor into the words envy and jealousy when they're translated that way in English. And it's a desire for something and a passion because of that desire. Oftentimes a desire for something that's somebody else's specifically. And, and so Paul uses a Greek word that basically says the same thing, that envy, jealousy is having negative feelings because you want that which is somebody else's. Now notice, I want you just to notice, in Romans 13, 13 right there, notice that this sin, jealousy, is placed right in the context of a whole bunch of other stuff that as Christians and as people, we just kind of instinctively see as bad. But jealousy, we don't. I saw a thing on Facebook that popped up this week. Uh, it's, it was a title. It said, 15 awesome ways to make your boy's bedroom the envy of all his friends. 
I mean, think, think about it now, considering what we've already seen and how Snow White shows us and the Bible shows us all these bad things about jealousy. I mean, that we saw last week that envy slays self and envy leads to evil and envy is insatiable. It's never satisfied. You'll always be envious if you let envy be a part of your life and envy rots us from the inside out and so it starts somewhere in our core and then eventually it just spills out of us. And we saw these things and here's this title saying, here's how you can do that to your, your kids' friends. You can do it. Now, I mean, we wouldn't ever, I mean, just let me just do this, like have a title like this. 15 awesome ways to make your boy's bedroom a great place to get all of his friends drunk. That would startle us, wouldn't it? And that's another one of the sins, drunkenness. We would never go, oh yeah, I'm gonna click on that article. I mean, I wanna make all my, my you know, eight-year-old kids, friends, just super drunk all the time. We would never think like that because we recognize how evil that would be, how wrong that would be. But when it comes to jealousy and envy, even though we kind of know that we don't like it and it hurts us and it causes us to do bad things, we still flippantly push it to the side as kind of a secondary sin, an unimportant sin. But Paul here in Romans 13 is talking about behaving decently. What does it mean to behave decently? What does it mean to live like a Christian? To live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back is the specific context. And he says one of the ways that we behave decently is we remove jealousy from our lives. We remove it from our lives. Last week, as I mentioned earlier, just a second ago, we said that that kind of the first step is to remove coveting. Because you're not going to have negative feelings about wanting that which is somebody else's if you don't want that which is somebody else's in the first place. And we read this kind of section from Romans 7 before Romans 13 where Paul says these, these things about the law and about coveting. And here's what he says, Romans 7, 7 through 12. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. And so we see two things in Paul's language. And he goes on to say that long, complex thing that I read you last week. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. And he just says that for like seven lines of the Bible. Uh, And... In this section, he says to us two really key things, two key things. The law is good. Those commandments were good, specifically coveting. The commandment not to covet was good. And he also says this, if it was just for the commandment, I would never have a chance because it didn't get me to stop sinning. It just showed me what sin was. And it showed me that I was a coveter, a person who could not stop coveting on my own. And he gets to the end of Romans 7, verse 25, and he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's like, I I can't do it. I can't fulfill the law, but Jesus came as his main point. He came and he fulfilled the law perfectly. And then he died for my sins so that I could be brought out from underneath the law. So Paul's telling us. And he wants us to see two things kind of in Romans 7. 
He wants us to see that when we sin, when we commit things such as envy, that Jesus will save us. But he also wants us to know that that doesn't diminish the fact that we ought to be striving to live for Jesus, to do the things that God has called us to do. But we often think there's like two ways we can go about things. And Paul doesn't want this from us. And we're going to see this in Romans 13. We think this, well, Jesus saves me and so I can envy whoever I want. I can covet whatever I want. Jesus will save me. Jesus will forgive me. It's no big deal. Or we just think, I'll just work really, 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 really hard and then I'll stop envying. Then I'll stop coveting. Then I'll be better. I'll be sinless or whatever you think. And, and Paul as he continues in the book of Romans and he moves from showing us how we become Christians and how we get saved and how we come out from under the law and how we are forgiven for the sins that we've committed while we were under the law shows us that there's a different way between ah, God will forgive me and I just need to try really, really hard. And in Romans 13 where he says envy and drunkenness and all those other sins, he He shows us just a glimpse into the way in which we can avoid sins, including, specifically for us today, the sin of envy, of being upset because other people have that which we want. And they surround Romans 13, 13. And here's what he says kind of leading up to it in Romans 13, 9 and 10. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. See, the first thing Paul does for us as he's building to Romans 13, 13, where he will say that envy is bad, behave decently, is he shows us that instead of just striving to not envy, to not be drunk, to not be a jerk to other people, to not fight with others all the time, instead of that, here's how we ought to think. We ought to think love. In Romans, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 13, a very famous passage about love, Paul says this, love is patient, love is kind, and it does not envy. You see, I think, think what Paul would tell us and what Paul is showing us is that one of the first steps to removing envy from our lives and removing coveting from our lives is to love people. I would just say this, we are not envious of the people that we love, that we genuinely love. In fact, we want them to succeed. We want them to excel. We want them to be blessed by God. We want them to be moved forward. We want them to succeed. My wife demonstrates this perhaps better than any person I've ever been around because my wife uh, loves me, thankfully, and my wife uh, does just an incredible job. It's just in her nature to, to never be upset or bothered or hurt when I succeed or have or excel in any area of my life. I remember that uh, that one of my girlfriends, uh, my grandma said to me at some point uh, that one of the biggest problems she had with her was that that she wasn't happy when I succeeded. You know, at the time, I thought I was in love with her, which was true of every girl I dated, and I thought she was in love with me, which was true of every girl that I knew. Uh, And, (laughs) let it sink in, um, 
And it wasn't love. It wasn't love. And one of the ways it was seen, there was a whole bunch of ways looking back, but one of the ways that that was seen was that she was jealous. When I succeeded, it wasn't exciting for her. She didn't look at me and go, wow, I'm glad that happened to you. Whereas my wife, I almost said my wife now, my wife, just the one, um, uh, we were never married, me and this last girl. um, But my wife, I mean, if I get to have a nap, she doesn't go, well, I should have got a nap. I was doing something. She thinks, man, I'm happy you got a nap. You see, we're not jealous. We're not envious of the people that we love. I think it's the reason that we're just not envious of our children. I mean, we don't think like, oh man, I wish I could have that because there's this innate kind of love that we'd have for our kids that we don't have for anybody else necessarily on that ease, in that easy of a way. And we don't go, oh, I really want that. Instead, we just try to give them things and we try to make them excel and we, our goal becomes just this kind of goal of making them succeed and making them move forward in life and helping them because we have this innate love for them, this inherent love that comes when you have a child. And so the first way that you just get rid of envy from your life is not going, "Eh, don't envy, don't envy, don't envy, don't envy, don't envy, don't covet, don't covet. It's to go, how do I increase love in that relationship? And if you look at a person and you go, I'm envious of that, and you know, I mean, we did some things last week. We said, what car would you have and what house would you have and whose spouse would you have if you could pick any of them? And if you can answer that and you know who the person is, then don't just go, well, I'm going to just really, the goal is to just stop having negative feelings. I mean, it's to, it's to not covet. The goal is to not covet, to not even want those things. And the, the best way to start not wanting those things is to really start loving those people. And I've defined love as this, and I'll continue to define love as this. Love is them above you as their good you pursue because of their value. And as Christians, we have an obligation, not just a call, but an obligation to love all people to lower ourselves for the good of all people, not just those we're interested in romantically, not just those who are our kids, not just those who are our parents, not just those people we like. We have a call to love all people because we have seen the love of Jesus where he lowered himself for our good because he valued us and he saw that we had inherent value because of the way that he had created us. And so it's not going, well, I'll try to like them more. Uh, if I could just you know, see something in them that makes me just kind of feel better about them. It's saying, I will lower myself for your good because I see that you have value and worth in the way that God has created you. That's the first step in removing envy from our lives. And then Paul continues in Romans 13, 11, and 12. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now. Than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. And put on the armor of light. The day night language is an analogy of the return of Jesus. And so according to the Bible and according to Paul here, we live in the night time. We live in the time before Jesus where there's still a sin in the world and there's still hurt in the world and there's still problems in the world. But eventually Jesus will come back and Jesus will set everything right and it will be like we have woken up for the first time. The morning has come and hurt and sin and death and all the things that we hate and stress us out will eventually go away. 
And what Paul is saying here is, is if we are Christians, we shouldn't take one of those stances I mentioned earlier. Jesus will forgive me and so I'll live however I want. I'll covet whatever I want. I'll be envious of whatever I want. I'll be jealous of whoever I want. Instead, because we know Jesus' return is closer now than when we first believed and is closer every day to when, from the time when he first left, because we know he's going to return, we ought to live a life that pleases him and glorifies him. So what Paul says is, hey, here's the deal. You know that Jesus is coming back. And so therefore, here's what you do. You put aside the deeds of darkness. You put aside that which is sinful, that which God doesn't want you to do. You put those things aside and instead you put on the armor of light. See, the second way I think that Paul shows us to remove envy from our lives is not just to put aside something, not just to remove envy, but to replace it with something else. And we know this is true. We know a couple of things. First of all, we know that Christians have a horrible reputation for only being against things, don't we? I mean, when the outside world looks at us, it's all about they have this list of things that they're not supposed to do. And a lot of us, even those of us who have, especially sometimes those of us who have grown up in the church, go, well, there's just a million things that I shouldn't do. And we wrestle and we battle and we fight not to do those things. And Paul says, sure, don't do those things. But there's another side to the story. And the other side of the story is that we are to add certain things. The other thing that we know as Christians, besides that we're, you know, we're known for not what we don't like and what we're not supposed to do. The other thing we know is that it's really hard just to stop something without replacing it with something else. I see this in in the way that everybody always seems busy and uh, we always go, well, I just am busy right now and then we stop doing three things but immediately we find other things to be busy with and for whatever reason, uh, we are created, it seems, to need to replace the things that, that are taken from us in our lives, whether it's a good part of being a human or a bad part of it, being a human, I'll let you decide. But we always replace. We see it in children, right? I mean, the best way to take something dangerous from a kid that they like is to give them something else. It's pretty clear, right? And if you don't, they scream and they yell and they're mad because now they don't have something and they liked it. But if you give them something else, then they feel pretty good. And Paul looks at us, and I think he just knows this. I think he understands this. He says, don't just take off, using a clothes analogy, a clothing analogy, don't just take off that which is bad, add that which is good. And notice, I think this is really cool, that that he shifts from just clothing to armor. And I think that what a lot of us want to do when it comes to our Christianity or, or the way that a lot of people, if you're not a Christian, you probably see Christians, is Christians just strip a bunch of clothes off, metaphorically, and, and they kind of run around naked and vulnerable, cold. It's not very fun. But Paul says, here's what you do. You strip off the bad stuff when you become a Christian. You take off all that was evil that before you just so willingly gave into, like envy and jealousy, and you put on this new stuff, and this new stuff isn't just clothing. It's armor. It protects you from giving in to other sins. It protects you from Satan winning the battle for your soul. Ephesians six thirteen through 17 most famously puts it this way. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. 
And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt buckle of truth around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you see, I think we see this. I know, I've known many people who, who reject and rebel against Christianity because they have grown up thinking, I just need to strip everything off me. And I think they feel vulnerable and they feel cold and they don't sense the presence of God. And it's in large part because the church has done a very poor job of saying, yeah, take that off, but then add these other things too. I mean, add truth and add wisdom and add goodness. And I mean, we could go through a whole bunch of things that Paul doesn't even talk about. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, he, he gives us more. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If any of you have a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The Bible makes pretty clear, God makes clear to us through the Bible that Christianity isn't just about stopping a bunch of stuff. It's about stopping a bunch of stuff and then starting a whole bunch of new stuff, clothing yourselves in the things of God. And Paul looks at us and I think he's about to say, he is about to say, look, behave decently. And you're not just going to behave decently by stopping things. You're going to behave decently by stopping things and starting the things of God. Envy is erased when we remove and, and, and we replace with something else, other virtues, other attributes of the God that we serve and the Jesus that we follow. I had a uh, pastor that I worked with. You've heard me mention that I uh, was in Idaho for two months as a summer missionary, if you've been around uh, a long time. And his name was Ken Young, one of the uh, the greatest men ever to live that you'll never hear a word about except for when I preach to you. And uh, Ken, every morning, it was a part of his life to go through that Colossians passage. And he would read a little bit earlier in Colossians about the things that God said to take off. And he would pray through them and he would say, God, take off envy and take off greed and take off uh, lying and dishonesty. And he would go down the list and then he would say, God, and add these things to my life, gentleness and kindness, and help me today be about those things. And it's no wonder that Ken was able to do the work that he did for God so long and be a faithful father and a faithful servant of Jesus because Ken learned that it wasn't just about stopping lying and drinking and whatever we kind of tell people to stop. It was about stopping certain things and, and, putting on the armor of God. It's because envy and other sins are, are erased when we remove them and then we replace them with something else. And Paul continues after verse 13 and here's what he says in verse 14. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. John Piper said this about this verse here. Putting on Christ each day doesn't mean Wearing him as an imposition or nuisance or a burden, it means wearing him as protection, that is trusting in him. And wearing him as the supplier of all your future needs, that is hoping in him. And wearing him as your supreme treasure, that is loving him. Douglas Moo in his giant commentary on Romans says, Paul's exhortation to put on the Lord Jesus Christ means that we are consciously to embrace Christ in such a way that his character is manifested in all that we do and say. 
And John Piper went on to say, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is not just the alternative to making provision for the flesh. It is the way we keep from making provision for the flesh. It's the way we kill these sinful thoughts. It's the way we keep them from even arising. When you put on the armor of light daily or hourly, fresh faith in Christ, hope in Christ, love for Christ, it is hard for the works of darkness to cling to you. They are pushed out by the light. You see, the goal every day isn't just to wake up and say, don't envy, don't envy, don't envy, and I can do that by not coveting, not coveting, not coveting. The goal is to wake up every day and say, my goal, my desire, my passion, my hope, my joy is to serve Jesus with all that I am. You see, what Paul shows us is that we have a choice to make. We can choose Jesus or we can choose jealousy. And all of the other sins that come along with not serving Jesus. You see, the mentality cannot be, it will never work, just don't give in. It must be, I won't give in and I'm going to do my best to serve Jesus, putting on humility and kindness and peace and joy and all the other good words that the Bible gives us when it comes to living for God. The key, the key at the very center of not being jealous is to choose Jesus. And that's for Christians who have already said, I'm a Christian and I've chosen Jesus. You have to choose to live for Jesus and to serve Jesus with all your might. But that's also for non-Christians because you go, away. Well, I don't wanna be jealous. Nobody likes jealousy. I don't wanna be envious of other people. And I'm just telling you, you'll always be envious and envy will slay you and it will hurt you and it will rot you from the inside out unless you make a decision to follow Jesus and to live for Jesus and to serve Jesus. Here's what I want to hear. This is what Paul gets to in Romans 13. God thinks envy is bad. I mean, he thinks it's right there with drunkenness and wild partying and lying and all the other sins that are listed in the Bible. He thinks it's bad. I think we probably had two types of people last week that left here after this service. Some people that believed what I said, it was coming from the word of God, so I hope that was you. And other people who were like, it's just envy, man. I mean, can we move on to a more important series? When's the Christmas series starting? I mean, let's get on with it. You know, it's just envy. But Paul wants you to know that he thinks envy is bad, jealousy is bad, wanting that which is somebody else's is bad. It's evil. And and then Paul wants us to hear that love drives out envy. And Paul wants us to hear that we can't just remove envy, we must replace it. We must replace it with humility and gentleness and patience. And we must replace it with a passion and a magnificent obsession to know and follow hard after Jesus. When we do that, we begin to remove envy from our lives. It's most easily overcome when we replace it with godly virtues because we have a desire to live for God with our whole hearts. And so here's the homework that I want to give you. Here's what I I think as we go through all of these seven deadly sins that we cover, I think it's important for us to be extremely practical in these series and go, what do I do to get rid of you know, greed and laziness? And we've covered those. And what do I do to get rid of the, this envy? I mean, what, what takes place in my life? First of all, you have to become a Christian. You'll never get rid of it without becoming a Christian. And it will not lead you to life knowing that you shouldn't envy. It will only lead you to death unless you give your life to the one who has forgiven you by his death and resurrection. That's the reality. 
I mean, I could stand up here and say, become a Christian because you don't want to go to hell. That's true. Become a Christian because you want to go to heaven. That's hopefully true. Uh, But also... uh, Become a Christian because the only way to get rid of that jealousy that sometimes drives your life and can never be satisfied. But here's here's the homework if you're a Christian. Read through Colossians 3. It's a different passage. You can write this down. Read through Colossians 3. And I just want you to pray and say, God, I see these things that you've told me to take off. I'm, I'm asking that you help me to take off these things today. And I'm asking God that you help me to put on these other things that you want me to put on this kindness and this gentleness and this peace and this mercy and this joy. And so one time this week, not just like, hey, that's a great idea, Chad, but one time this week, wake up, and at the beginning of your day, whenever that day starts, I want you to get before God and your Bible, and I want you with Colossians 3 open to read through it and say, God, help me to remove these things from my life and replace them with these other things. And then this other one, that one you like, I can see your head's nodding, but this one's a little bit harder. If there's a person that you are envious of and you know it, I want you to do something to show them love. And I don't just mean you try to, because love is them above you, is their good you pursue because of their value. There's, there's a lowering of yourself when you love. Love is not something that we can just feel. Love is something that we must do. And so I want you to do something this week to show love for the person that you are envious of, to the person that you are envious of. I mean, maybe, and this is the easy way out, I hope you take something better than this, but maybe, maybe you're envious of somebody that you don't even know, and maybe it's just praying that God would continue to bless them and continue to move them forward, or maybe that God would bring them to him, and you just say, look, the only way that I know of to to actually lower myself is just to pray for them and say, God, keep blessing them and keep doing something awesome in their life, and I I wanna see you move them forward. I put that into practice uh, uh, this week as I was thinking through this sermon. It's really easy in, uh, in Christian circles, especially pastoral circles, to be jealous of what some other church is doing, what, others, what some other pastor is doing. And, and I don't struggle with that too much. I wouldn't say it's a big thing for me. I really like my church, so that helps. If I was always thinking, let me out of here, get me out of here, you know, then that would be worse, but I like you guys. But there's some of it in me, and so I just prayed for some of the pastors that I look up to and that I steal stuff from and I copy, and I just, God, pray, you know, like, like just keep blessing them and Help them to be good family men and don't let Satan win this battle that I know is going on for their souls so that others will fall. And so that's the easy way out, but you may do something a lot nicer. Go buy dinner, do something even, it's not nicer than prayer, but something beyond (laughs) prayer. Uh, Go do something for them because here's what Paul, again, let me just restate it, wants us to know. He wants us to know that envy is replaced by love. It's removed by love. He wants us to know uh, that we must not just erase envy from our lives, we must replace it with something else. And he wants us to know that the best way to get rid of envy from our lives is to choose Jesus, not jealousy. Choose Jesus, not any sin, choose Jesus. And so I think as we actively say, God, help me to take this stuff off and put this stuff on, and then we go out and we love, and we actively love that our jealousy will dissipate. And we'll feel more satisfied with what God has already given us. But that's where we're headed, not where we are today. Will you pray with me, Lord? <sighs> Envy's tough, Lord, because it's, it's not something that anybody on the outside can see when we do it. When we commit this sin, it's not something that people can point to. I mean, you know, if we showed up to church drunk, Lord, 
there'd be people, if we're Christians, who would, who would say, hey, what's, there's a problem here. Do you need help? Um, but if we show up to church envying, being jealous, then nobody will notice God. And so it makes it difficult uh, to not have a desire to remove it. But I pray, God, for every person who sits in front of me, these guys who stand behind me and, and every person who will listen online, that first they would realize that jealousy and envy are bad, that envy is bad, it's evil, it's something you don't want. And I think it's something you don't want because you know, God, what you have declared in your word. I know you know that it will slay us and it will rot us from the inside out and it will cause us to do evils that we never thought possible if we let it go unchecked. And so I first pray that every person, God, would understand that it's bad and have a desire to remove it from their lives, Lord. And then I pray for non-Christians. I pray that non-Christians, God, would accept you as their savior. God, because they realize just how sinful they are, how jealous they can be, and how great of a gift it is that, that you would die and rise again, even for that which can't be seen, envy, Lord. You paid the penalty for that sin because the law could not remove it from our lives. It just showed us how bad we are. And I pray, God, that every person would, would, that doesn't know you would give their lives to you because there's no other outlet, Lord, for the guilt that comes with envy and for the stronghold that it has, has on our lives too often. And for those of us who are Christians, God, I pray, I do pray, Lord, please. First, help us to love. Let us love people, all people, even the people that we have just let it become such a normal part of our lives to envy, let us love them and let that love drive out the envy that we experience, that we commit, that we feel, Lord. And then, God, I pray that we would learn not just to try to remove sin from our life, but we would replace it with your virtues. And I pray that every person, God, that's a Christian would, would every day just have no other passion than to serve you with all their might and all their hearts. And whether they go, God, to work or they're retired or they stay at home with kids, whatever situation they're in, God, they would have no greater joy and no greater aim in those roles than to please you, God. Because when we do that, these sins just go out of our minds. We no longer sit around going, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that. I'm mad at them because they have it and I don't. We just go, Jesus, what do you want from me? Lord, I pray right now as we celebrate communion that we would be reminded of what an incredible gift you have given us, how merciful and gracious and forgiving you are. And it would compel us to choose you, not envy, God. It would compel us to choose you, Jesus, not jealousy or any of the other sins that we so frequently commit. Give us a passion for you, God, because you have done so much for us. But not only that, because you are God and we are human, Lord. I love you and I pray these things in your name. Amen.